Hello and welcome everybody to episode number three of the Midnight Mystics. We got a good show for you here today, um, which is an interesting show. We just finished watching episode three of the Midnight Gospel, and it was our first experiment with doing a podcast. It was all a bunch of old roommates that got together that watched episode three, and we got jumped on Zoom and we had this quick discussion. Um, we discussed... The most interesting part of the episode is where we discuss the existence of Sasquatch um, and possible renditions and interpretations of this mythological creature that supposedly lives somewhere in the Alps or the forest or something. We'll let Charlie tell you more about it. Um, This episode is being brought to you by Shady Pines Radio at ShadyPinesRadio.com. And we are taking a look at this excellent Netflix show called The Midnight Gospel. And we're just going to jump into it. Afterwards, um, the episode cut out because uh, my equipment died at the end of the episode. And it was conspiratorial for like a moment, but then quickly recovered when I realized it was just a dead battery. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why the conversation ends abruptly. Uh, Charlie Compost is a really good guy. He's a wizard. He's a carpenter. He's an electrician. He's a um, he's a Charlie of all trades. What we can, what can we say? Um, and he likes to keep a low profile, but he did uh, entertain us. Uh, so I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Charlie. Um, you know who you are. And we're actually going to end this episode with uh, one of his wife's songs. Um, So everybody enjoy the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And we're here every Tuesday night at midnight on ShadyPinesRadio.com. Okay, so we just watched episode three of uh, the Midnight Gospels. And I'm curious what you guys thought about it. Pretty zany. Yeah, yeah. Well, the animation style, obviously, just the first thing looking at that. I love Pendleton Ward's work, you know, just like very simple in a certain way, but also really just leaves a lot of room for, yeah, wacky ways of like the cats, just like lots of cat energy for sure. (laughs) Lots of cat energy. (laughs) I appreciate the cat energy a lot. Um, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate making a cartoon out of a real conversation. Yeah, the whole concept is awesome i think um they were talking about how the bible is perhaps the most magical book ever written and i'm wondering if you guys agree with that or have anything to say about that i don't think i had the same insight as what was what was the um guest name something like Eccles? uh his name was daniel Eccles, i think damien Eccles. Oh, yeah, Damien Eccles. Damien Eccles, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know much about him either, but, uh, um, you know, I I don't know if I'd call the Bible magic per se, just because I don't know a whole lot about magic. But the Bible is a more of a mysterious book for me than laying out all the plans. I, I think the Bible is uh, really really good heresy in the way that it is 90% truth, but they can add 10% falsity to make you look the other way from the actual truth. That's how I look at the Bible. I think the Bible is a really special thing, but I don't think it's complete in the way they, it has been passed down and presented. And 
I think it more is a tool and has been co-opted to. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, do you guys have any opinions about ceremonial magic? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've studied for about a decade uh, and have practiced like sigil magic, you know, um, and done my own like private ceremonies. I've been a part of like one kind of uh, May Day festival where there was a ceremony of opening and uh, uh, designating the circle, casting the circle and calling in the quarters, you know, and so the particular guy who's the priest was you know holding an FMA like a special ceremonial dagger and he called in each one of the uh, the the directions essentially and we set kind of a perimeter within which the May Day celebration was going to happen um, and it was in this beautiful big field it was more on the Wiccan side of ceremonial magic but you know ceremonial magic in in general I think uh, can be even reduced to modern ways of going about a protocol. Like whenever you make, you wear a certain costume, yeah. you ensure that you are in the state of mind you need to be in to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So like, you know, electricians have magical kinds of gloves and things that can keep them protected from the forces that they'll be working with. And there, you know, certain rules that, I mean, you'd be able to speak to that better on like, that's like the real ceremony, like, you know, the non, uh mystical but the everyday everyday important and like kind of integrated into society magic that like the magical spells we're all under kind of a thing yeah i i think ceremonial magic even extends to even though people don't aren't using it is how we dress ourselves in the morning to go to work or go outside it's like i'm presenting myself this way to cast spells or or just like i want people to think this about me so i'm gonna wear this cool hat um that's ceremonial magic. Yeah, you're, you're casting spells. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I was thinking about the top hats. The gentleman. The gentleman uh, from like the 40s that used to don the top hats as like a, just a status symbol on top of their crown, like these super posh, like things that are completely inefficient. Like they don't accomplish any. They like they're overprotective of rain, perhaps, but like uh, they're wearing them purely as a status symbol to be like, well, we're all in the same club and we all play by this game called capitalism or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, at what point did did men ditch the hats? Like we still wear hats, but at what point did we ditch the top hat and like wearing it purely as a means of um, status and more of just a means of fashion, you know? Um, one thing that I appreciate about our society is that we can all kind of don our own individualistic culture ourselves, you know? And uh, I don't think humans always had the opportunity to do that, so. Um, so fashion is a spell. Fashion can definitely get people thinking about different things and associating different things and feeling different ways. It's like a manipulation of sorts. It can be. Um, but it's also just expression. So that's really cool too. Um, what were you going to say, Charlie? You had a thought? Well, it was just, it's, it's more of like dressing and presenting something and going along the lines of top hat. Like it's kind of superfluous to have a really tall hat. The thing that is a modern day top hat is people sagging their pants. I don't get it. When <laughs> makes it cumbersome to walk. And yeah. it's just like, what what's going on there? Like, they're casting a spell for sure. I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> be interpreted wrong by me. 
and that just shows I'm an old man now. But uh, <laughs> I think I think it does a little bit. I mean, it's just laziness. That's just laziness, isn't it? It's not. Some people purposely do it, and I don't get it. I saw a guy crossing the street yesterday. He was having trouble walking and and littering and drinking his beverage at the same time. Like he was a mess. But, but again, but again, that you're saying that's like intentional because I'm saying it's lazy. Like he can't help it. It's just he's just not thinking about that kind of stuff. I, I, yeah, I think people do it intentionally, and I just don't get it. I don't get I don't get it when people do that intentionally either. Like gangbangers, for example, they wear they'll wear their shit all super sloppy, almost as like a means of expressing. I, I don't care. I I don't care what you think about me. I'm gonna be myself or whatever the fuck it is. And like, you know, it's I don't give a fuck. It is, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck, I will kill you. That's a spell. That I think that's, when you wear all sloppy, it's just like, I'm chaos. I'm a tornado, I will eat you. I mean, we, we're getting to this point in society where everything is quarantined. Are you guys experiencing an ice cream drought? Ice cream drought? My, yeah. drought. My tongue is hot. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting little tidbit yeah i'm like trying to read into those little side adventure stories they're like subplots you know that's not really a, you know it's part of the cartoon it's not really a part of the conversation but i'm trying to say that there might be some connection to that um yeah i mean i could read into it and think but it, I, I couldn't find any way that me reading into it actually added up with what the show's about so it's just i think i think a lot of it doesn't have any meaning like to be yeah, honest like it doesn't even have yeah it's just a little entertaining Thing. Yeah, it's just funny. Like, oh, we're, our planet is experiencing an ice cream drought. Gives you something to do. Find some ice cream somewhere in the multiverse. You know, yeah, sometimes you got to go far to find ice cream. Mm. I like the idea of uh, a fishbowl consciousness. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. Like a fish swimming around inside of a fishbowl. That's kind of what our, we call it a consciousness. But where is it? And what does that mean, you know? Um, it's like Pink Floyd's two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. Year after year, yeah. In the same old town. What have we found? The same old fears. Wish you were here. <laughs> why, why did humans start doing magic, do you think? I think they may have discovered it. I, like, well, he, was, he was saying something like, um, magic isn't necessarily... Oh, we were talking about this where Crowley was like magic isn't necessarily super mysterious and magic it's it's fundamentals of maybe math which is what the infor what the universe and we're just talking here but what the universe is made out of information and one of its languages is math and I'm not saying that magic is based off math but um, it's probably more based off of this special thing our, our mind our consciousness and our connection to uh, well, if it's true, what they say is like, we are just a fractal of uh, the all or source. Like we are just small parts of God fractal down, you know what I mean? Like a bigger part of God source. Um, I guess back to the question, we discovered it. We discovered magic and other ways to manipulate things around us. 
Yeah, they said there was two reasons you used magic. One was for manifesting, and the other one was for, um, what do you call it? Um, spiritual sustenance. Yeah, I, I took some notes here too. He wrote, uh, uh, the spiritual sustenance is to help you grow and change. Like, to change intentionally. And I like what they were saying. I like what he was saying about how meditation is really helpful in the art form of magic because it helps you hone in your focus on what we're attempting to manifest or accomplish. And um, manifestation is really interesting. I'm curious if either of you have had any experience. I mean, Charlie, if you don't mind me saying, uh, you're surrounded by a manifestation of your own creation right now. There's that, yeah, I live in my snail shell. <laughs> we actually had, um, we got rid of it not too long ago because it kept freezing our food, but we had a manifestation refrigerator. It was a, it was a magic refrigerator. It lit, you were there when, uh, it was a refrigerator we covered with chalkboard paint. And- oh, Okay, I didn't, I never knew that was a manifestation refrigerator. Yeah, and so, and this happened at least twice with Pepper and I, where we drew, what we wanted to manifest on the one of the quadrants, the lower half. And twice uh, we looked back on our situation and it was what we had drawn on the refrigerator. And so we ha we got to let other roommates try to manifest stuff. I don't know if Jordan manifested things. He got, he put a sigil on there. Did you manifest? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, mine was a pretty big ask. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still alive, you know, yeah. Yeah, it takes time for manifestation to get in. Like, I've definitely gotten sigils totally manifested and like some, some literally, but it was always an unexpected way. Um, and I learned lessons about just like taking more time to be more specific. Mm -hmm. about the, the visualization of like and the feeling that you want to feel which I think is an even bigger that that's like the the fertilizer you know like the actual flower is the vision you see but you have to put in this like feeling of like what is it gonna really feed that image so I didn't take enough time to really do that it was just a very like simple uh, when I was 19 when I first learned about magic and sigils and stuff i uh learned it from uh watching the grant morrison uh 2000 disinfocon conference that they had and they were talking about magic and all kinds of other counterculture stuff fringe topics of all kinds and one of the first ones i saw come to pass was just manifesting a cat and i just made a sigil for a cat i wanted a cat and i wanted to see and then it's easier to get things that are more practical to get or that already there's an abundance of. So there's a lot of cats in the world. So I asked for a cat and I got a cat. And there was literally a cat that just showed up in my apartment hallway. And my friend came and knocked on the door one day and she was like, you guys know there's a cat out here? And it was like, it hurt its leg. And it was like looking, it was like really happy for somebody to be giving it attention and we fed it and ended up taking it in. And then weeks into it, months into it, she slowly started turning kind of just like antisocial and not really being that friendly of a cat. 
So I asked for a cat and I didn't ask for any particular kind. So it's kind of like the clicking the I'm feeling lucky button on Google. If you just want to see whatever your keyword will randomly take you to, that's kind of like what doing sigil magic without meditating first. So I think the point that Damien was making about meditation as being an essential component that you want to get taken care of first is learn how to pay attention to one thing for a long period of time um, so that you don't accidentally entangle your desire with other things that maybe just happen to be flitting by your mind but aren't necessarily what you're really trying to focus on. Uh, Would you say you use magic more as the second for the second purpose which is as the soul sustenance? Yeah, yeah. Manifestation I started to get weary of just because it it's a technology of the mind or in interacting with the world that I'm not completely sure of all how to do it wisely without, uh, you know, just be, be careful what you wish for, that kind of thing, you know, and just uh, recognizing responsibility that you can change, you, you can change the world. And, and, and magic, the most simple, like magic is just a, a fancy word that kind of is magical in and of itself because it puts you in the state of mind of, thinking about just, oh, you mean you're just changing things by doing stuff. Like, okay, you can reduce it with your language by just saying, oh yeah, you're changing things by doing stuff. But when you call it magic, it adds a, a greater ability of like childlike possibility of like, oh, anything's possible. So yeah, spiritual sustenance is more what I try to focus on now, just so that I can be sure about what my intentions really are. And it's, it, when you dive into manifesting things that's a great way to find out really quickly what do you really want actually like if you get something is the person that wanted it still the same if you have to wait like two years you still want it as much that you did that time so the person that really wanted that much doesn't get to receive it while they're at the peak of wanting it so much you might be completely not in the mood to receive it not even pay attention when it's right in front of you but you still got it uh but you aren't the same so it's also like you get to discover who is it that's desiring? Not only what you desire, but who is the one that's desiring? So what the poet was invoked during the show, W.B. Yeats, and he has this quote, uh, how, can you, how can we know the dancer from the dance? And in that way, he was, they were also, Damien was talking about being a conductor of the currents. Like it's not just the words, but it's also the conductor, the one that's saying the words. And it's that relationship. He said, it's both. He says, is it the words of the person? The currents is received. Um, and then I saw the uh, the metaphor, the visual like presentation of that as static electricity through the bodies of the cats that all channeled and like sent the currents to the machine, which ended up like taking all the data and then presenting this rainbow ship through the wall. And I like that, that representation. Um, uh, but it, it's like, what is this current then? What, what do we mean when we talk about this current? And I think manifest, I think of manif magic as more of an internal process. It's an inside job and the less of what society thinks of it as like this kind of like casting spells. And I do think circling up and like working with instruments and stuff like that has a, an effect. Uh, like I believe in magic. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that magic works. But I believe what's actually changing is the inside, the internal workings and alignment of the magician, personally. Crowley's um, definition is uh, just basically causing change to occur, the, the art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will. 
and uh, Dorian uh, or uh, later writers have said uh, changing consciousness according to Will is like an updated way of saying you are changing things out in the world you can but most importantly you're changing the way you think about everything <laughs> you know so and, and Crowley's example that he gives in uh, book four is a, a reductionist model he says whenever someone wants to write a book a publisher you find a publishing house you find a pen, pens and papers and ink and all these things and you conjure spirits which he, he himself is saying like it's just a just a highfalutin language about basic things you know it's like uh just a way to get yourself to be in that state of mind that lets you see doing regular things as really important you know like everything you do has an effect and you can change the world with your thoughts and your actions um and calling it magic is just kind of a a gloss i guess and that's just my opinion charlie do you have anything any uh insight on that kind of working of magic changing consciousness at will um not changing consciousness at will I remember hearing a, a quote once about, um, well, in, in the in this in the show they talked about using words uh, like current and things like that and having an effect. Like your words are the magic. And I remember what what popped in my my mind was a old quote about worry and it said worry is praying for something you don't want. So if you're worrying about something taxes, corona, you may be manifesting that negativity in your mind if you continue to be a slave to it and dwell on it. You, like you're talking about magic's an inside job. Well, you're casting, you know, you're, you're praying for something you don't want. And that was just a bit of wisdom that came to me when they were talking about that. So I have to ask, I have to ask you guys, I have to, if, if we, we want to distill this answer as short as possible, because I think it can get way out of control, but like, how do you discern what is worthy of consideration in terms of like conspiracy theories, right? Like you hear, you hear something, you're like, I don't know if there's enough evidence to support that. And a lot of people are making up a lot of stuff. But then there's also a lot of people just parroting what other people are saying and just repeating what other people are saying. I did it. I did it today, this morning. I did it. I'll we'll do that. But go ahead. Yeah. And I realize that like I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't. I shouldn't just like say something without knowing if it's true or not because then that has a consequence. It's shaping somebody else's idea of reality, and then I'm responsible partially for that. So, um, in terms of conspiracies, like how do you guys stay sane in the world of conspiracies, like knowing that so much of it is false, but some of it might be true? Jordan? I'll, I'll drive this car because I, I jump down the, the conspiracy rabbit hole quite often, all day, every day, actually, when I'm listening to podcasts. <laughs> but um, but I, I have thought a lot about this. I listen to a lot of things and hear a lot of crazy stuff. And for one, I sometimes have to turn it off if, if, if I feel like it's giving me fear or negativity, I'll, I'll t turn that dial down. Um, but I, I think it is fine to listen to it all. But what you're talking about parroting, that's when 
you are kind of stating it as fact. Um, unless, unless you give a caveat of like, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I heard. And, you know, that's okay. But you, you, you do think it's, it's okay to listen to. It's okay to receive as much data, even if it's not true, whatever you, that's your kind of like, um, personal opinion about it. Yeah. I, I, I do this in my life. This is kind of a practice, but I'm like, I like to gather a lot of information, see if there are coincidences from accounts that aren't connected. And I, I build a case in my mind. Like I listen to a lot of Sasquatch stuff and, uh, I, I totally believe in Sasquatch, but, um, I don't know if I'm going to go out and, and hunt Sasquatch or something like that. What, what is Sasquatch? Yeah, that's the question. That's, that's <laughs> if, if I were to, I don't know is my, is my answer, but there's, um, but I have a lot of like ideas bubbling about what it is. Cause there's, there's some metaphysical, uh, things related to Sasquatch as well as like, oh, it's just a, uh, a lost, um, branch offshoot of homo sapiens timeout. What? Timeout. So yes. imagine somebody's going to make a cartoon of this right here. Can you give me a visual kind of like just painting of, of what, of what Sasquatch uh, does during the day? Like what did he do yesterday? If he's, uh, if he's real. Um, well, Sasquatch, well, I'll give you a few. First of all, they've been known to travel in by becoming like blue orbs. And then I'm just going to give you a bunch of uh, sightings that they, they also have, Possibly, possibly, um, active camouflage hair. They can move with unreal speed. They are a family unit. They have they have a family hierarchy. Usually traveling in like six to eight, with an alpha male um, being up to ten feet tall. And then there's they have baby sasquatches. They don't. <laughs> They, they have a whole language, they, <laughs> um, they, uh, but it's, it, it has been recorded and it kind of sounds like what they call samurai gibberish. So it's like, oh, no, um, and they, what else do they do? Oh God. They usually don't want to fuck with you. They they usually will just uh, if you hear a, a a noise in the woods, they're usually just kind of paralleling you out and scaring you out of their territory. They're they're omnivores. Uh, yeah, they're they're very stealth. Oh, there's another aspect about them that doesn't always happen, but they have kind of like, in my opinion, it's a scent gland, um, kind of like a skunk, but it smells like wet dog and um, rotting meat. And I think it happens. They use that in a sense to strike fear in you. Oh yeah, there's, they have something called ultrasound where they um, they kind of yell at you in a sense, or it's a frequency that they induce fear. And it, this, is a, this is a factual thing that lions and gorillas have. It's, it's in the animal kingdom, but they can make you physically sick with their, um, their screams, I guess, their, their yelling. Uh, should I stop there? I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm running out of 
Sasquatch. No, I mean, it, it's just uh, we weren't expecting. I'm sure if uh, if we have another podcast, we could talk more about the Sasquatch. Uh, it's fascinating, though. Yeah, there's a um, podcast called Sasquatch Chronicles. And it's basically a guy, he's he's kind of a sas- He's a therapist for people to call and tell about their Sasquatch encounters. And it's, there's enough on there that you... Just don't dismiss them as like a mythical creature or you're crazy. Like there, there's enough reputable people that have had encounters that it's not just me. People don't know what they are, but they are they're a phenomenon that happens to enough people that it it is factual. And it's it borders on the lines of of kind of woo-woo, but also could be just a lost branch of apes. I don't know. You just you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, how do you draw that line between woo-woo and reality? Well, um, metaphysics, I think, is physics that we haven't understood yet sometimes, you know? So I think there's a lot we don't understand. Um, and we call it woo-woo. I think people call prayer woo-woo, but I know prayer works. Like, whether whatever religion you are, it's back to ceremonial magic and thinking and using this supercomputer to generate stuff in this simulation. Totally. totally. Um, so woo-woo is um kind of a derogatory term it's a derogatory right but it's fine you know i, I get it so it's hippie and I, oh, I use it too i use it too i I use it more of a term of endearment i'm just like oh that's kind of woo woo. i'm i'm really woo so it's okay I'm a creek without a paddle like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in my thought about i think if you consider it, it's woo on the woo side if you consider it to be real regard and it's real independent of your consciousness or real independent of your thought about it like there really is a seventh dimension with a particular throne and on that throne is you know five and not six sapphires and there are those sapphires have come from the lord of the dimension no they're rubies yeah so (laughs) so the, the woo is like um maybe unverifiable it's just like a, a when it's more on the subjective side you know, so it's like. Uh, Let me ask you this. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting to think about, though. Does a does a does a, a rose quartz and an amethyst do they affect the human being besides just the visual and mental representation of these crystals? Do they actually have different frequencies that affect us on a way that's like noticeable? Or is it all just something that we are patterning out? When it comes to frequencies, like, you know, a frequency is uh, a frequency of uh, something. It's, it's how frequently something is occurring. So, you know, uh, 440 hertz is 440 times is the frequency. It's how frequently something is happening in between little bits of, you know, seemingly not that thing happening. Um, so a frequency of light there are different ones that can be measured by machines they couldn't be measured until a certain point other animals were already seeing them unbeknownst to us but now we know you know snakes can see infrared even though we can't but we can see it with 
the aid of a consciousness altering magical device. Uh, so if there is a frequency, science is predicated on the thought that if it's affecting us physically, then it can be measured in some kind of sense. You know, it's like number is the measure of all things. So if, if there is a frequency, then it should be able to be uh, verified w with empiricism and uh, with evidence, you know. Um, but the placebo effect is also a huge factor that someone can call it a frequency and it doesn't really matter whether it is or not. If they get the effect inside themselves that makes them feel, you know, a certain release of endorphins, then the brain doesn't mind. So are you saying that it's kind of impossible to tell? I, I'm not saying it, it's possible to tell. It's just if there is one there, uh, if it's going to be called a frequency, then it's measurable because a frequency in and of the word frequent means an occurrence of a regular repeating pattern and patterns are numerically measurable typically uh, Charlie, typically. Do, Charlie do you think that the crystals have a uh, a medicinal effect beyond a psychological like connection to them if you talk to someone else besides Charlie they would say <laughs> yes um, I, that is out of my woo woo knowledge I, I don't dive into the crystal the living crystals like crystal magic yeah i don't um I, I like the way they look i i've got a room full of them <laughs> i've got lots of crystals too yeah yeah i used to say all the time just because they look good and i think aesthetics they make us feel good you do in a way it's like the spiritual cool. spiritual sustenance thing you know make something beautiful and then you feel good but you changed your consciousness by Making beauty. Do you guys have any uh, agreement whatsoever that there's a solar body that we can? That was actually new to me. Me, um, me too. Yeah. You know, one. Um, it is interesting. I remember, like, towards the end of that, uh, Damien's takeaway. It seems like the, the interview was cut abruptly. Like, I feel like it just kind of ended. Mm -hmm without any conclusion, so maybe they just do that in normal. But um, he quoted, I don't know, was it Bach or Beethoven? It was some, or it was someone they quoted saying, um, our job here is to come closest to divinity and then disseminate the rays. And this is uh, a illustration of what magic is, is like to, the takeaway is to help. The takeaway is to give away, like is to help those around you. And that's something uh, I resonate with to the highest. Like I've taken enough psychedelics to understand that this is not my only pass through this life or this illusion. And so it makes it a lot easier to be a kind person, to be generous, to help people in need and to be selfless, like just to, you know, surrender to not not giving into the, the idea of scarcity and I need to gather everything and not give anything away like just kind of surrender to it all and so on that aspect of magic that's kind of where they ended it and that's where I fully agree with magic um, if that is its true like goal is to help other humans sign me up 
But honestly, like, magic, ceremonial magic or Aleister Crowley magic, it scares me only because I don't understand it or know it. Because um, I really do believe in a spiritual world. And I remember reading a book about making sigils once. And the basics, or not sigils, but um, talismans, yeah. And a lot of it was giving your power away to some other deity. And when it boils it down to it and putting that into some kind of like object and it gives you some power. But I know enough to know I don't know enough about the spiritual world to not dabble in it. Uh, at least giving away my power to some entity that it's quite possible it's real. It just lives in a fourth, fifth, sixth dimension. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. it's interesting you mentioned that because in the beginning of that conversation they were talking about how a lot of magic is language that whose words are chosen as code for protection and they cut the interview they they cut it and they did some kind of funny cartoon thing mm. like he he switched talking about that and started talking about something else mm-hmm. um but I like I, I wanted them to continue that thread of like what like what are what what's what are they protecting? They're protecting the exclusive use of this power, this like mental like technology, so that it doesn't get used by the wrong entities or something like that. Or is it just like like spiritual self defense, like the unfortunate, like we we just are protecting ourselves, and we, so it's important that we we when we're opening these gates, we close them as well. Mm. And, uh, that sounds really woo woo. So, if either of you want to respond to that, I'm just curious. Uh, what do you think that there is to protect in like coding? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, um, and it relates to just ancient traditions from many different parts of, of, of different religions. That, like the word mystic, the uh, mystikoi, or whatever the Greek root of that means, initiated. And so, the mystery traditions of mystics, you'd be initiated through these steps and given a very highly coded message that's meant to prepare you for a much more subtle message. Um, it happens in the, the Eastern Orthodox Church they'll talk about things in a very much more, you know, it, it might, it'll sound like heresy to the uninitiated is one reason why they don't dive right straight into the deepest stuff. Uh, you know, Jesus said, don't give your pearls to swines, don't throw your precious things before uh, dogs because they'll trample over them and they'll uh, turn around and bite you. And whenever he performed his miracles, he says, don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Uh, a certain principle of secrecy and, and a lot of the Greek uh, cults of Dionysus and any other mystery traditions have, have had that uh, coded thing to keep out those who are going to come in and muck it up. And, to, and, and again, back to Jesus, he said, you know, uh, to everyone else, I speak in parables so as like a test to see, are you really trying to, are you just looking at the surface things and are you just going to listen, miss the forest to the trees kind of thing? And then to his inner group, the, the ones who are the initiated, he said, but to you, I give all the secrets plainly. But then he turned around and said to them, but what you hear secretly, go announce from the rooftops, or there, there will be nothing that's left hidden at the end. Um, and I think on another level, on the non-Christian level, a lot of things were per- specifically coded 
to avoid persecution from the inquisitors, from the from the inquisition of any anybody. Uh, you know, it's funny, ironic, I guess, the Christians started off code, changing their own names, making the fish symbol to give like, you know, meeting in secret. And Christians in certain countries where it's illegal to practice, they, they still do similar things. But then when the Catholic institution dominated the world, then they started persecuting those who weren't in line with it. And so then uh, alchemists and occult, you know, the word occult means just hidden. It's an astro astronomical word. Whenever something goes in front of something else and you can't see it anymore. But now in this day and age, it seems silly almost because all this stuff is so cool and so modern and ever since the 80s and 90s and then the matrix came out like this stuff is just more and more mainstream cyberpunks and online forums and the psychedelic phantasmagoria of like but yeah it's almost like yeah back to what crowley was saying he was his idea was everyone the purpose of magic is to get in touch with your holy guardian angel so that each individual person finds their own individual true will. He said, all other teachers say, follow me. I say, don't follow me and don't believe me. Uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love under will, love is the law. And, you know, so well, that's like a very brief kind of like summary of what he was talking about. So I have a question about what you're talking about. If Crowley's talking about love and you know helping others why is it and this is again we're going back to the conspiracy that the illuminati you know whatever that is and you hear talk about them sacrificing children and being pedophiles and doing all this negative shit and they're supposed to be acolytes of crowley or learn mm -hmm. magic are they following it to form or are they just doing what that will and using it black magic to force their will upon others like are they deviating from Crowley or are they following Crowley yeah it's a, that's a good question because in some of his writings he specifically says I don't mean do whatever you want when I say do it thou will he says I'm really controversial is that I you know I, I, I take the good and leave the bad and there is some stuff that I'm definitely not a fan of with Crowley that I don't know how much is actually what it was into or if he was just being so coded i think i think it's largely up to interpretation you know even even amongst crowley's followers like i'm friends with some deep deep oto guys and all across the board you know there's like the oto there's lots of disagreements among crowley uh crowley students uh, but when he says love is the whole of the law that's kind of like well i guess it depends on what you mean by love or how you're applying love um but uh, I would say that what attracts people to politics is the same thing that attracts people to magic. You know, it's that desire for control, that desire for like for power a little bit. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with power as long as our intentions are in alignment with the use of that power. And but a lot of people don't check that they they just go well power is important to me and so they let their self-interest drive everything and i think that the uh the horrific kind of um stuff that happens out there in the world in terms of uh energy exchanges um it's perpetuated by people that have uh have no 
kind of like regulation on their power. And they're just reinforced in their reality with all of this like 25 staffers that run around and do whatever they want without question because they're all like channeling this influence. They're all channeling this, this power. And um, that's the way that that system works, unfortunately. Um, but is Crowley responsible or is, is Crowley, you know, is he a good, was he self-proclaimed most evil man in the world because he, he cared about the power of intimidation, you know, like, I think that his reputation gets carried on into the minds of people that want to look for a, a devil kind of figure, a demon, a, a, a Lex Luthor, Joker type, uh, like villain to hate. Um, but like a lot of people that that like just appreciate Crowley as another, as like a Timothy Leary or as a Terrence McKenna or as a Jesus or a whoever walked amongst us and gave us wisdom. Um, you know, I, I, I question I question whether or not he could have offered more to this world if he did protect himself a little bit more, um, if he if he didn't surrender him his his will over to the mission or the momentum that got him to that place where he was just engaging in tons of debauchery for debauchery's sake. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, just an unfortunate karma. You know, they caught up with him. What's really fascinating about him is how much he wrote, <laughs> how much code he wrote. He just sat there and he just wrote. He sat there, I assume, with a keyboard and just like, just nonstop, like just book after book after book after book after book. And like, regardless of what anybody thinks about the, the, the reputation of the human, because none of us will ever get to know him, is like, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. I think channeled materials is really, really fascinating and interesting. Um, I want to keep these episodes really short to keep the audience like listening for more and like also because we have all these episodes to get through. So Charlie, will you come back and do another episode? Uh, well, sure, yeah. I, th um... I wanted to give you last last talk. If you have anything to say, you're our guest, and so if you want to if you want to expound on anything or open up one last conversation thread, uh, your center stage. <laughs> I'll just kind of uh, echo what I what they talked about, the essence of magic is, is if it is to help other humans or to, if the highest thing to do in this world is to help other humans, uh, I resonate with that with the most. That's that's kind of my wisdom as well. It's just like, you know, um, if you surrender to goodness and, and love and good and take care of others, uh, you will be taken care of. I, I, um, I had something, some words given to me one time that was um, in regards to that same idea of if basically it said if the tools will be kept sharp and um, meaning if you are in use of, if you've surrendered to, you know, source or whatever you want to call it, God, um, to a positive entity of love, you as a tool will be kept sharp. You will be taken care of. Um, that's it's, my it's interesting that the, the fish head man, he had from his fingers, he had all of these different keys 
that he was inserting into the locks. He had a whole array of tools inside of himself that he had access to because he was able to sharply focus um, on doing good, on doing good. Um, on, on the like revisiting the, the, his, the fishbowl consciousness idea, it's like the consciousness is like, you know, the seat of the soul is in the third eye type idea and our, our bodies, this physical meat puppet that is in this reality is an amazing body, just like in the, the cartoon. It does all these things. It does all these things without even thinking about it. your immune system, all these autonomous, your heart's beating, you're not thinking about it. That's, I think, analogous to that uh, robotic body he had. Um, I ha yeah, yeah, I caught that too. It's cool. We're like we're like meat machines. <laughs> yes. Uh, the first time that I ever heard of Charlie, um, I was talking to his wife Pepper about uh, who this mysterious Charlie person was, and she said he's a wizard. He's a real wizard. <laughs> oh man! And then she said he plays magic, like Magic the Gathering but he plays magic like he he plays at magic and he he does magic but i want to know if like uh the archetype of the wizard is something that uh that jordan sees in charlie wizard of the coast man <laughs> it's funny compost yeah compost. pepper swear like so pepper had a has she has a lot of shows and she's always away and that makes Charlie a sad boy. And uh, she's been busy and I'm proud of her for doing her thing. But um, I've been sad she's been gone for so long. And then she swears that I manifested this coronavirus so all her gigs get canceled and that we get to hang out. And I'm not gonna Charlie, confirm nor deny that, but... <laughs> Pepper and I are having a great time now. You should probably deny that. You should probably, since we're on the record, you should probably take this opportunity to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna deny I, I created it, but if you think about like, you know, death is one thing, and mass death of humans is not a super duper thing, but the coronavirus, that's a, that's a whole conversation of like, is it, let's, let, let's pretend it's not a bioweapon made by Wuhan or whomever. Let's pretend it's a, manifestation a natural manifestation of earth it's a message in a sense um there's a whole conversation unpacked there like is it is it like knock on door like hey it, it could be a few things like right now we're all kind of slowed down and we've we've cl quit polluting and we've gotten close with our loved ones if we have to stay at home with family and i mean there's there's some repercussions that are positive we're looking at normal life in different ways uh we're learning how to do our work via computers or just different methods it's it's a global shakeup. it's globally um it's sad that a lot of people are, are dying but are also the, the earth if you believe it's a living entity like the gaia theory is running a fever and we're a virus that might be multiplying we can be a good, I don't know if we're a virus, I think we're a bacteria and we can be good or bad. Um, you know, we can be an infection or we can be a probiotic. Um, Let's be a probiotic. 
I choose probiotic. <laughs> Lactobacilli. Yeah, yeah, culture. Um. Anyways, uh. So I mean, I think I, I think that the stuff that we do with uh, fermentation is is beyond some of the stuff that that the old authors, fantasy authors, wrote about in wizard books.
and you've been listening to Yaima at Yaima Music on Instagram. You can check them out, Y-A-I-M-A. A lot of people know about Yaima, um, but there's plenty of people that have never heard of Yaima. So just want to put that song out there. It's a good reminder that um, while everybody or while many people in our society would have us believe that the rules are already set in stone, um, like the Ten Commandments and the Constitution and all that stuff. We, the new generations that come into this world, into the society, we're the ones that really are the ones that get to determine how we play the game. It's a little thing we like to call democracy, and it's an idea, and it's an experiment, and it's political, of course, but um, never give away your power. So... I want to take this opportunity to thank my co-host Jordan Furrow. Uh, you can find him at Conjury Music. That's the at sign Conjury Music. I'd also like to thank our guest, Charlie Compost, for being on the show and sending love out there to Bianca Armageddon, the wonderful um, dragon love child of uh, Charlie and Pepper. And I hope Bianca's doing well. And I hope everybody's doing well at the Cleopatra house. Uh, Shoutouts to Haley and Tifa and everybody, everybody that I ever met through that place, even Kim and John and Josh. I miss you guys. That was a really epic period of time in my life, living in Seattle and Ballard with all you fun folks. And um, hope we get to hang out in person again sometime soon. Uh, You've been listening to the Midnight Mystic, um, Midnight Mystics here on ShadyPinesRadio.com. Shoutouts to Brian and Callie for keeping this... uh, this good ship rolling, the good ship lollipop, and I will see you guys all next week. Um, we're going to have Tom Bain Hatsis, the psychedelic historian, on to discuss episode number four, and uh, and then we got some exciting stuff. We just recorded yesterday a special edition with our friend Atara O Rose of the Never Ending Story. So that was really fun and a deep dive into the esoteric, deep symbolism of the Never Ending Story with uh, Jordan and myself and Atara. And we are awaiting our copies of the Cartoon Utopia, which is a graphic novel uh, created by Ron Rige Jr. out of um, Los Angeles. And he's an, it's, he basically created uh, the most mystical graphic novel of all time. Um, but until next time, I got 10 more seconds until the hour is up. So keep on tuning in. Follow me at Lucid Vibe Radio and at Optimisto, O-P-T-I-M-I-S-T-O. Take care, everybody. We love you.